Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. We're all going to be selling nudes in two weeks. Yeah. <laughs> in two weeks, we're all putting our nudes behind a paywall. Webcams are being sold out completely everywhere, too. Not like It's like Purell and webcams. I saw somebody say that they wanted to start like a phone sex line, and I'm like, do it. Also, hire me. Uh- <laughs> I'm ducking out, you're ducking out. Let's duck out together. See what it's all about. Ducking out! Hi, and welcome to Diking Out, a podcast that knows how to properly wash its hands, especially after that hot pepper incident in 2005. I'm Carolyn Bergier. And I'm Melody Kamali. And today we are diking out with Sarah Hollenquest about lesbian stereotypes. Sarah is an activist and organizer who helps run New York City dike bar takeovers. Sarah, thank you for being here. Thank you very much for having me on the show. Amongst this madness, this crazy... COVID-19 times, which we have to start off by announcing that everything is canceled. Absolutely. Yeah. (laughs) Everything that we had promoted leading up until this episode is canceled. Yeah. Our LA trip is canceled. (laughs) Uh, Clexicon is canceled. Stonewall, we just called it, is canceled. We were trying to see what if we sell less tickets, but everything has been stressing us out so much that we're like, maybe we should just cancel everything and stop trying to play it by ear and have more anxiety build every single day. Yeah, (laughs) You don't want coronavirus and an ulcer eventually, so we just (laughs) called it all. (laughs) Yeah, I think at this point we're more worried about our mental health because physically... You know, there's not too much of a risk for ourselves, but we don't want to be vectors, as the yes the term is, uh, and spread it to other people. I also had to cancel my trip to Alaska, so I'm sorry to all of our Susans in Anchorage, uh, because I really wanted to go, and I thought, how cool will it be to meet our Alaska listeners? And, you know, I also don't want to bring it to, not that, I have it, but who knows, because there's no (laughs) testing going on. So right now, let's just take a a quick minute to talk about the situation, because while we're very, very aware of this living in New York and every time we ride the subway and step out of our house and there are people everywhere. Allie, Melody's girlfriend, was in Hershey, Pennsylvania this weekend. Yeah, she's there right now. Everything has been canceled, right? Like everything you could possibly imagine, except for this one massive college activities conference that she's showcasing at where they bring a bunch of performers to showcase their talents for these college kids who come and then book them at their schools. 42 colleges were supposed to participate. Actually, 16 ended up showing up. Yeah. So what they're doing instead is having them try to like cluster an audience of the participating colleges that did show up and they're live streaming it for everyone who is actually doing the right thing and staying home. Right. So yeah. But Allie Allie said that everybody there was looking at her like she was a conspiracy theorist because she was wearing medical gloves. right. Yeah. She says in Hershey, Pennsylvania right now, the vibe is very chill. Yeah. (laughs) She walked in with medical gloves, like a self-made mask and people are laughing 
laughing at her. So I don't know if the hysteria has reached there yet. Well, but then on the flip side, you know, my sister is in Buffalo and she's like, all the stores are out of diapers. That's insane. And everybody is hoarding. So Sarah, what the message you wanted to give? Absolutely. So NYC Dyke Bar Takeover, we're a group of activists and organizers. We're all volunteers. We pay our artists. But most importantly, we try to update the community with information on our Facebook and our Instagram, too. And so we wanted to say, hey, during this time of quarantine, it can be very scary, but the best we can do is to continue to wash our hands, continue to shower, continue to be hygienic. Everybody does their part there, but not to panic. Don't panic and buy $17,000 worth of sanitizer and then resell it to our community for 30% more. Yeah. Don't don't steal all Which the supplies. Which seems to be what specifically white men are doing. Uh, yeah. <laughs> all yeah. the articles I've read of people being assholes. It's like, oh, surprise. Guess what this person looks like? Uh, not to stereotype. Uh, yeah, totally, totally. <laughs> and I think, too, there are vulnerable people in our community. And so mm-hmm. if there are elders that you know who are very scared to go out, I don't know, just put on a face mask and gloves and buy them groceries and leave them at the door. You know, don't leave the people who are the most vulnerable in our community to be stranded in this time either. Like, let's come together. Let's not be afraid. Like, let's have some solidarity here. Yeah. I always feel like there's this very thin thread that keeps society functioning and from going into where people will like descend into complete madness. And it's so important to keep a cool head about things, but also know that like there are still people that are packing out bars and it's like, you can't do that right now. Like one thing that I'm doing, there's a local business that I usually do open mics at and I perform there and I know the owner and it's her entire life is this place. And she just had to close it down because she's not having shows. So I'm Venmoing her the money that I would normally spend there in a week. So at least she's not impacted. And I know not everyone can do that because a lot of people are losing wages. So if you do have extra money and you can help support people who are losing money, try to do that. Yeah. The best you can. Yeah, there was a suggestion made to us, this website called Twitch, that you can, as an artist or a yoga instructor or whatever you tend to do out in public, you can film it via webcast and then users can actually send you money. Yeah. And so it's voluntary. You don't have to pay to actually see it. But if you're, you know, seeing an artist that you really wanted to see, you could pay a dollar and at least they're making some money that they normally would be at a bar or at a yoga studio or whatever their profession might be. And so using these new alternative ways during this really, really funky time of quarantine, we can just keep getting the message out there and the artistry out there. I like that you call it a funky time. <laughs> it's a funky time. That's a great way to... <laughs> I'm trying not to create panic. I'm like, please yeah, don't panic, just everybody. Just a little funky. Just a little, a little funky, funky out there. <laughs> Melody is in full I panic know. right now. I'm fighting oh. my tongue as someone who is inclined to panic. Um. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, Cecilia has been panicking and I've had to, to talk her down a lot, you know, and canceling our trips was more about just keeping everybody else safe for the most part and we were like oh you know maybe we go back to LA in June for Pride and Pride in June has already been postponed in LA yeah we were thinking we would come reschedule our LA show we were going to put on for the West Coast listeners you know early mid-June but yeah. there's the ban on large gatherings extends until the end of June so yeah. it's going to be a funky time for a long time <laughs> yeah I mean even with you know canceling the Stonewall show which is I think the last thing we decided to cancel 
after everything, I'm thinking there are so few paid comedy shows in the city. So this was one of them where we pay our performers well. We pay our photographer, the tech person at Stonewall. Stonewall makes a lot of money there for a Monday night. Mm -hmm. We make money that goes back into the podcast and all of that is no longer. And there's, you know, a level of guilt with having to cancel that. So it's thinking like, well, maybe we hire the photographer to do something else. Or maybe, you know, we have those performers on a couple of times or you yeah know, it's interesting know. to see how creative we're gonna get with our like resources now and yeah just, we're, like, we're all gonna be selling nudes in two weeks <laughs> yeah in two weeks we're all putting our nudes behind a paywall webcams are being sold out completely everywhere too not like it's like purell and webcams because everyone's gonna have to work from home but in my mind everyone was suddenly shifting to sex work <laughs> yeah yeah i saw somebody say that they wanted to start like a phone sex line and i'm like do it. Also hire me. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I'd be the worst phone sex operator, but I would love to try. Yeah, I actually I have a lot of friends who are who used to cam who just like that switched back to it in the last week. Yeah. Yeah. But I am seeing a lot of comedy shows switching to live streaming and I think it's safe to say we won't do that. I can't, can you imagine <laughs> bombing on a live stream? <laughs> well, it's because if you don't hear laughs to react to, because I've done comedy through virtual reality, actually, which honestly, like if if virtual reality was more affordable for everyone, that would be huge right now because it's a really cool way of getting people to gather and interact with each other in a way that doesn't feel as removed as doing everything through like video Mm -hmm. and you could have everyone mic'd and have their laughter but then you'd also have talking or people because you don't know who these people are so you can't trust them to turn the mics on so they they mute all the audience in the virtual comedy club and you only hear the reactions through emojis that come out of their avatar's head. (laughs) So then you know, based on how many emojis go up, you know how well a joke worked. And that was kind of a good alternative. Yeah. So I don't know. I guess like with Instagram Live and stuff, people send up like hearts. Mm -hmm. I guess there are ways. We'll figure it out. But, you know, just be safe. Don't spread it. Like, don't be... Don't be reckless. Yeah, don't be reckless in this time. And even like young people, like my next door neighbor posted that he has asthma and he's really worried about this because people who have lung problems are Mm -hmm. most at risk for serious complications of this. And, you know, just seeing him, he looks like a normal, healthy guy in his 30s. And it's it's bad. Yeah. (laughs) But don't panic. (laughs) Before our world flipped upside down, uh, (laughs) back when we were going out, we got the last of our social activity out of our system, I think, in the past week. Right. We saw Shelly Wright last week perform at City Vineyard, and which is a great venue in New York. Love it. Love seeing shows there. That's where I saw Jill Sobule last year, and they like to do a mix of, like, singer slash storytelling shows and it's a perfect venue for that you know you're like eating your dinner you're watching them perform it's very intimate and uh, Shelly was like it was a lot more storytelling than I expected but I loved it yeah she would tell like 10 minute stories sometimes in between songs yeah um so as someone who doesn't listen to country music normally it was a very nice way to ease in (laughs) yeah it, it was a great way too to kind of learn the stories behind these 
songs. Are you familiar with Shelley Wright? I'm not. Okay. I wasn't I wasn't either until and neither were we. Yeah. Our past intern uh Karina is a huge fan of Shelley and had been badgering me to look into her and she's like, She changed my life. You have to. Oh, that's great. Told me about this show. And then it turns out Allie was a big fan. My too. girlfriend is Southern and super country, but like Shelley Wright apparently really changed her life because yeah. she is the first out lesbian country singer, right? Or one of the first. For the most, I mean, major. Because she's different than like a Katie Lang who was always kind of. Yeah. Like she didn't come from an alternative kind of angle with country. Like yeah, she, she was, was like hardcore country. Nashville, top of the charts. Yeah. Grand Ole Opry performing. Yeah. She had a not great experience coming out because her career never recovered after doing that because Nashville shunned her. They stopped playing her on the radio and she had this big coming out on the Today Show and she was on Ellen and had all this press. And I remember that happening back in 2010, I believe. Mm -hmm. You know, she was playing like huge shows, crowds with like thousands and thousands of people and now we're lucky enough to see her yeah, at we a place like City Vineyard. That would have never happened if she had come out to see her at such a small intimate venue. Yeah. So it's, I mean, she's still, you know, obviously like just as talented and her music I think is far more interesting now because it's very honest and that makes a difference when somebody is, you know, one of her big hits was Single White Female and like looking for a man like looking you. for a man like <laughs> you <laughs> and that's like ellen when she was in that movie where she played like a straight oh person God. what was it like mr wrong or something yeah. what was that movie called yeah that was like that movie where it's just like what's happening right <laughs> right <laughs> Exactly. Oh, my God. Can you imagine? Uh, but when she played that song live for us at the show, she tweaked the lyrics to right. looking for a girl like you. Yeah. Oh, and cool. it was very nice. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. And it works a lot better. Truth. Just yeah. Sounds better. Yeah. <laughs> so that was cool. And we got to meet her and invited her to dike out with us. And she seemed on board. So hopefully... Listeners, you'll be able to hear from Shelly herself about her experience because it's such a, an amazing story with a lot of ups and downs. But now she's, you know, happily married and has two twins, kids, twin boys and is still making great music and very thankful that we discovered her. Some other stuff going on. I want to give everybody a fertility update just in case anybody's interested or thinking about you know, having their eggs extracted and all the joys that come with doing that. So, so far, I feel like I haven't been affected by the hormones, except maybe the past couple of days. I've felt like a little bit like I think bloated you've been, and you think I've been. A, <laughs> I think you've been acting a little weird. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think Carolyn's been a little kooky. Because I got a message from her last night. Oh, man. <laughs> okay. I know. I've been. I, I blame that on. On Corona. I don't think that's the hormones. Yeah, it's either like the hormones or just cabin fever. <laughs> let me let me tell you, as I was sending those screenshots to you, Melody, I was very aware that I, I was like, why am I even doing this? Like, I got a weird filtered DM. I'll, sh I'll show our guest. Oh, yeah. You. I did post it on Instagram so everybody could know how crazy I am. <laughs> um, it says, should I read out loud? Yeah. Because it just says, hello, are you a lesbian? And the answer is why? Are you a lesbian? Are you? <laughs> yes, you. 
Reply. Reply. <laughs> yeah. It told me to reply. So I, but I saw it and I'm like, most likely spam or whatever. But also, like, what if it is somebody who lives somewhere in the world where they yeah. have no one yeah. to talk to and like they came across my account and they really need a lesbian to talk to? I know but that. But then what would you do? <laughs> well, I'd like refer them to a website. I don't know. Tell them to listen to Diking Out. I, I have no idea. This is a profile that I had to look up because Carolyn's like, what if this is someone who really needs me right now? And it's a profile is private and you just see like a very, very young looking girl in the avatar wearing hijab and it says bullet lover in the profile. I said, maybe um, it's the blender. Maybe it's the blender. Um, I love my Vitamix. I know how it is. <laughs> Uh, proud to be Muslim, studied hijabi, born on 17. I just wanted to know. <laughs> okay, so they said proud to be Muslim. So I'm like, what if it's a young Muslim teen who is really freaking out about her sexuality and like coronavirus has made her come to terms with what's going on and she's reaching out to, you know, out lesbians on Instagram. Um, I get it. I get how it looks. <laughs> I get how it sounds. I know it was just like a boy looking to cyber with a lesbian. Yeah. I'm very aware of she, that. She like actually engaged with those messages you get sometimes on Instagram. They're like, hello, you lesbian? Answer me. Are you lesbian? <laughs> <laughs> and you know, Caroline and I are still getting to know each other as we, as I am still a new co-host. And I, I, I just didn't. Melody was having all sorts of regrets. I She's didn't know like, if it was the hormones or if she just, you know, thinks she can save Every single bullet I lover. I think I can save every closeted every potential lesbian 14 year old in the world. I, you know, sometimes we get messages and like in the past, you know, there'd be some and Sarah York used to be like, do not answer that. I'm like, but, but and she's like, just don't even answer that. This is like an insane person. I'm like, but what if, but, and I do, I think I can reach through to everybody. Um, it's very narcissistic of me of thinking that there's some. No, I think that's normal, though. I think that's like kind of what we do, too. This is creating space on a podcast on an online right. worldwide basis where so many users from many countries that have criminalized homosexuality can mm -hmm. listen in and just feel normal. Yes. Uh, this might feel really weird, but I wanted to read something. I think this kind of gives a spirit of this podcast and what Dyke Bar Takeover does in creating queer space in normally straight spaces. Yeah. Um, and this was from a book called Baby, You're My Religion, Women, Gay Bars, and Theology Before Stonewall. And this was a quote from somebody that said, I would get up at 1 or 2 a.m. and I would call every gay bar I had the number to from the 1940s. I wouldn't say anything. I would stay on the phone and listen to the sounds in the background. I would stay on until they hung up. And then I would call another one of the numbers until I had all the numbers, that phone, those numbers, that lifeline. It meant that there was a place somewhere, even if I couldn't go there, that place was out there. I could hear it. Freedom. She called the bars two to three times a week like this for 14 years. Oh. And so wow. even just hearing lifeline. the noises in the background mm -hmm. that was necessary. So something like this where you're actually hearing, oh, my God, uh, these folks are getting married to their partners and having children and going to dike bars and you know, creating space and being able to be together. I think that means a lot to people. Yeah. yeah. Well, now I feel like an asshole. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> sorry. I'm sorry. Was that too deep? I know. <laughs> you asshole for judging me. <laughs> Jesus, Melody. <laughs> no, that no. is very valid. And I love that. Yeah, you know, also, I was <laughs> 
I, I think you also have a right to think I'm insane because I did make you go see a portrait of a lady on fire again. And that was my third time seeing it. And the <laughs> second time I saw it, I went by myself. So I get where you might think I'm in a weird place right now. <laughs> and I'm normally, I don't even know if I've ever been to the movies by myself. That might've been the first for me. Oh, really? Yeah, I, yeah. I prefer to go alone, but uh, maybe the hormones are having an effect on you because when we saw it together for the first time, you were still like easing into the hormones and I sobbed, but yeah. you did not cry. And I was emotional and then this, this third time, time. Yeah. I knew what to expect. So I wasn't too emotional, but now Carolyn's crying, crying, crying on her third time seeing it. I know. <laughs> and, and also I describe it now as saying it's, it's less like I'm watching a movie and more like I'm reading a poem and saying things like that. So now I'm just like my, okay. So maybe I'm crazy. I'm on a lot of I'm up to like four shots a day of different types of hormones, which is a lot. But the story I want to tell very quickly and then we'll get into our topic is that Cecilia had to start the hormones when she got back from her business trip. And we had talked that I was going to give her the shots because she didn't feel too comfortable about doing it. So as we're like setting up and I'm measuring everything out for her, showing her how to do it, because it's not that straightforward. So you have to like mix powders and liquids and like switch out needles. It's a whole racket. And they don't really explain. They're like, here's a link to a YouTube video. And you're like, all right. Uh, so Cecilia decides that she wants to give herself the shot because she's been watching me give myself shots and thinking I should know how to do this in case you're not around and I need to yeah. give myself a shot. She gives herself the first shot and she is not, she's like kind of freaking out, like barely pushing down the syringe. I'm like, just keep pushing. You got to push it and just give it to your, <laughs> you know. And then afterwards she's like, okay, I need a cold glass of water. That was a lot. And you know, she can be a little, a little dramatic at times. And here I am giving myself multiple shots, like by myself for, for days now. And I'm like, no, nah, it's fine. She's like, maybe I should wait before. I'm like, no, no, just get it. Just get out of the way. Do the next shot. The next shot's easier, blah, blah. And she's like, okay, I'm going to do this one in, in my stomach. And she's looking a little bit like nervous. She puts the needle in and is like, I'm going to pass out, grab the needle. So I grab the needle. I give her the injection, pull it out. You know, I, carry her over to the the couch and she kind of collapses on the couch and she's like I feel like I'm gonna pass out I don't feel good get me a bucket I'm gonna throw up so here I am still thinking she's being like very dramatic so I grab like a saucepan for her to <laughs> puke into and and then she's kind of like leaning over it and kind of coughing a little bit and I'm trying really hard not to laugh because I still think she's being dramatic then she starts vomiting profusely like all the color has left her face like she didn't even want me anywhere near her she was like in such a state and then she went to the bedroom and then she like went to the bathroom where she started like vomiting a few oh more God. times and then was like very sick to her stomach and her stomach was hurting and she's like sweating and she was like I'm scared call 911 so I call 911 because I'm like she just took this medication like I think it's a reaction to the needles and just freaking out and that's a reaction that some people have even though it feels extreme but that is somewhat normal sometimes we call 911 and like the paramedics come and by that point she was kind of getting better but we had like EMTs and it was this crazy thing that we weren't expecting so 
this is all to say, if you're going to be doing fertility drugs, uh, maybe don't do them alone your first time, uh, especially if you're squeamish with needles. Yeah. Have someone there, even if it's just a friend or a neighbor. Have some um, buckets there. Have some buckets around. Yeah, if you're weird about needles. So the other thing that I guess I'm going to share is that, you know, to make this experience more fun, I did buy like a sexy nurse outfit to give right. uh, Cecilia right. <laughs> the shots in, but it didn't come in that first day. And thank God, because imagine the paramedics coming and I'm like <laughs> having to just like throw a robe over myself to hide the fact that I'm wearing a nurse outfit. That would have been hilarious. Uh, I would have been tempted to keep it on just for fun. You oh, know? yeah. Yeah. No shame. <laughs> But then they didn't take her to the hospital, right? Because they were like, you don't want to go there right now. Yeah. But they said, you know, Cecilia said because of coronavirus. And they said, no, because of the flu. Because if you get coronavirus now, you'd probably be fine. If you got the flu, which you're more likely to get, and then you get coronavirus after that, then you're in trouble. So we'd rather not have you exposed to anything that's at the hospital, which is mostly the flu right now. So that your immune system is good for when you might eventually get coronavirus. <laughs> wow. Yeah. But the, yeah, the EMTs didn't seem too faced by coronavirus other than saying that the problem is if you're compromised, that's when you have to really worry about it. So, and I let Melody know right away, knowing that she's been very anxious about, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. about all of this. And then we saw a portrait of a lady on fire the next day. <laughs> oh, Yeah. So soon after. Yeah. Glad you didn't go to the hospital. I'm glad we didn't go either. Movies with me. I hate going to the hospital. It is a whole racket every time. Well, let's move into our topic, talking about lesbian stereotypes. But first, before we get to that, tell us a little bit about you, Sarah, and about Dyke Bar Takeover for Context. Because I know we've mentioned it. We've talked about it on our episode about Dyke Spaces. It was started in 2017 after a Make and Read exhibit in which she made a sculpture about the Lost Dyke Bar. And it was basically really beautiful. It was a lot of pinks and purples. And she sculpted out a bar in like fake bottles and a pool table that was operational. And it really brought a lot of folks together to be like, yeah, we did have all of these dyke spaces. And when you look, we've lost about 43 bars in the city that were dyke specific. And we have three left that are Cubbyhole, Ginger's, and Henrietta Hudson's. There are about 42 gay male bars that still exist, and it keeps continuing. You keep having a lot of these gay, specifically cisgender bars, but not a lot of dyke bars that are popping up. There's a rumor about Butch Judy's being a new one that will be in Bed-Stuy, and there was a rumor about another one in the East Village, and that's all we've heard for dyke space. So that would be the ultimate goal, would be to create more dyke bars. We took this idea from Make and Read about turning a straight bar into a dyke night, basically. And then on top of it, the energy that we wanted was from the actual Dyke March. You had this diverse range of folks who cared about activism, who were part of a protest, who wanted to give back to the community. So this isn't our business. This is a community grassroots run volunteer group in which we pay all our artists. And then afterwards, we donate all the covers to a local queer nonprofit, 
Or sometimes when there's a disaster in the world, such as Hurricane Marina, we donated to the Puerto Rican LGBT center that was destroyed. We've donated to Standing Rock. And I'm sure we're going to donate to a COVID-19 related fundraiser for our next event on April 11th. That one's at DBA, and that's going to be a Dykes and Dog event because they are dog friendly. And so we're going to have a dog dress up contest, and it should be really, really cute. But again, with coronavirus, we did have to cancel an event this month that we were supposed to have at Dream Baby. Mm -hmm. We're supposed to have a drag king show at Pony Boy on the second Saturday of May. And so we're looking for drag kings, too. Uh, We're definitely going to do a call-out for that. Nice. And so, yeah, uh, we have events coming up. And we have a Facebook and Instagram account, NYC Dyke Bar Takeover, in which we try to find articles related to queer news, especially things Trump's passing, things related to NYC in particular, and just to try to connect to the community and reach out and create that respect and solidarity. Yeah, it's a great follow. I was <laughs> telling Sarah before this that I really enjoy following Me uh, too. on Facebook because, yeah. yeah, it's a lot of... That's where I get a lot of my news, Yeah, actually. you're kidding. Okay, yeah. Sarah so does glad. all the posts. I had no idea. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I knew there was a person behind it, but I, yeah, it's so nice to meet you. I've oh. been getting a majority of my dyke news from yeah, you, so I guess, yeah. for the last couple of years. <laughs> because sometimes you get messages that are like, you're blowing up my feed, stop it. And I'm like, no, I'm still going to send these seven or eight posts every day no, <laughs> Monday I, through Friday. I feel like some of the points I've made on this podcast is like, and I, I've read that and it's absolutely a dyke bar takeover <laughs> post that I'm, I'm so paraphrasing. Glad. Yeah. <laughs> See, I mean, I think people are like, oh, how can I be more connected? Or like, how can I help the world? I feel like I want to help, but I don't know how. And I feel like that's like a very simple thing is just to pass on the news on your Facebook or yeah. just have a conversation about it. If you're like, oh, I found this thing really interesting, like just talk to some friends about it or like rally around it. Or, you know, you can you can kick start it there. I think everybody's like, I must start my own nonprofit or I must start my own dyke bar, which totally do. But like, especially when you're younger, I think, and you're coming out of college and you've got all these expectations for changing the world, it yeah. can start like that small. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. it can start that small to like share some articles on social media yeah. and get people talking about it. And then you can join protests or you can write letters to Congress or whatever. And you can definitely vote and do all the things that you're supposed to do as like a good citizen of the world. Yeah. Speaking of college, fun fact about <laughs> Sarah, she went to Simmons with Emma Willman. Oh, they were in the, we're same, in the same class. The chart. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the chart. Yeah. Drawn another line. I, I think our chart is mostly based on who knows each other less than hooking up with each other. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We That's don't want to confuse our people. Our chart of, yeah, dyke connections yeah. around this podcast. But Simmons, that's in Boston, right? That, that is. Last women... four-year women's institution. Yeah. Well, okay. Speaking <laughs> of stereotypes, uh, <laughs> yes. because I went to school in Boston, and I remember whenever you met somebody from Simmons, you just assumed that they were like a hardcore dyke. Like, yeah. that Simmons was just a school full of lesbians and you could pick them out at the parties because there's, you know, the stereotype of a lug lesbian until graduation. (laughs) And so at parties, you're just kind of like, all right, who's here just for curiosity and who's like all about that dyke life. (laughs) And then I'd go up to people and learn they were from Simmons. I was like, oh, this adds up. This adds up. (laughs) I think another stereotype that's kind of interesting from women's colleges is now they're talking more about folks who are graduating who are actually men, because I think a lot of folks go into college as like a freshman from high school and you don't know quite who you are. And then suddenly you're surrounded by women and you're like, well, why do I feel so different? And it's like, oh, 
I'm a man. And yeah. so there's a lot of transitioning, especially with trans men that happen or gender queer folks that happens. Right. And so you do have men graduating from women's colleges. And it's it's weird because I feel like the college turns a blind eye. They're like, oh, but you're, no. It's like, it's not like you're a woman still. It's like, no, this person has transitioned. They use male pronouns. They have become men. And so I think that's something that's interesting that women's colleges are going to have to address. Yeah. Um, you know, and then also, of course, always be open to having trans women go. Always, yeah. always. And so that's definitely a stereotype I've heard in the past where it's like, I don't understand men are graduating. And it's like, nope, this is real. Like a lot of people figure out they're men because they're around women. And then they're <laughs> like, <laughs> this, this doesn't feel right. I feel different. How has Simmons been about trans women applying and getting... Oh my God, this is Baby Dyke Sarah way back in the day. This is like first first queer activism in yeah. like 2004, 2005. Yeah. We had a panel of folks who, there was a trans man who graduated from Simmons and later on transitioned late 20s. There was a trans woman who tried to get into Simmons decades ago, like in the 80s. And there were some folks just from the community and one even from Smith College who was talking about Smith was already creating gender neutral bathrooms and was like way ahead of the game as they should have been. And so what we were trying to do was make all the bathrooms gender neutral. And we were like, on our campus, they already are gender neutral because you're assuming that only women are there, but like you have male guests, you had, you know, all these things where it's like, actually these are mixed bathrooms. Like there are no male bathrooms here. So why would there be on the main campus? You know, like just make them all gender neutral. And this, like, blew up, like, because this was just not heard of. It was, like, not taken well. The dean was there. It was a whole hullabaloo, really. And so they were just telling their stories. And I remember the trans woman guest we had on there was like, you know what? Trans women have been going here, you know, like, the entire time. You don't collect birth certificates. You don't do anything to prove somebody's a woman here. Like, there are going to be trans women going in the future, and they should have been going in the past. And, you know, it really hit a lot of people to be like, okay, so what is a woman? Mm -hmm. How are we defining women? You know, and it really makes a lot of cisgender people who aren't familiar with any genderqueer or trans rights really uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. You know, it was a really uncomfortable conversation for folks. And luckily, I think now that transgender people are in the news so much as far as horribly losing rights constantly that like there's another story of trans youth in South Dakota can't get their drugs or transgender people aren't allowed in the military anymore. And it's, it's horrible. So like now we have all this negative news where suddenly I think your average family, quote unquote, in America can talk about it over a kitchen table. Yeah. You know, whereas back, back in even 2004, I feel like people weren't talking about transgender rights or transgender folks being part of a woman's college. Not at all. I don't remember even, you know, being out and being queer and having, you know, some queer friends, it just wasn't even on our radar, you know. And I think a lot of people think of colleges as being like, oh, it's like so liberal and like overly PC. And that's what college has, has become. But it's like these are old institutions for the most part that are very rooted in tradition and are slow to change. Absolutely. So as much as like... The people attending are like from an administration standpoint, colleges are still very behind on things and very resistant 
to doing things in a different way than they have in the past. Absolutely. And I feel yeah. like I was talking to you earlier about this too. Like I grew up just outside of Boston and I went to college obviously in Boston too. And it seems like you have the term Boston marriage as an old school right? term for lesbians getting married like back in the 1800s. Yeah. <laughs> Yet there's been no lesbian bar or dyke bar for decades. They used to have some place called Prelude and another one called Somewhere. And it's amazing the lack of space that's still there, that there isn't a dyke bar when there are so many queer people that live in Massachusetts and the Boston area. Tell me about it. Well, I think you just, you go to Northampton. Yeah, you go to (laughs) Northampton. They just opened Majestic Saloon, which I'm excited about. The first dyke bar I ever went to was Divas in Northampton. And it was like this black and hot pink bar. And that was the first place I ever saw a drag king. One was a lesbian who looked like Justin Bieber, who did one time. And then another one was uh, doing a Justin Timberlake song. And it was a huge space. And so I'm really glad it got repurposed into a queer bar now. I was so glad to read that news. But that's probably the newest queer bar in Massachusetts I've read. Yeah, Yeah, I I grew up in central Connecticut. So once we got our licenses, it's like, we're going to Northampton. (laughs) (laughs) It's understandable. Um, And yeah, I would just have to like lie to people who I wasn't comfortable like implying I was queer I wasn't even out yet but I was like it's just that all my bands my favorite bands only play in Northampton at Pearl Street so I like I have to go sure. like, it was like yeah a zoo just walking around and trying to absorb the lesbian energy as a kid all the time there questions yeah. for you I know you're the hostesses but like what were the first dyke bars that you guys went into or gay bars or queer bars or what uh, was like your first experience? I'm just curious. I, I love dyke space and like I love talking about it. So I'm yeah. always curious about that first time. It wasn't a dedicated dyke space. I, uh, in Hartford, I don't know if there was a dyke bar ever in Hartford, Connecticut, but there's a tea house slash bar called Tissane and they had gay night. Oh. So it was like a lot of gay men. But if you were a woman there, it was understood that you were like staring at each other until you could figure out if you were there with your gay best friend, <laughs> or yeah. if you were there to meet women. Yeah, that was like my first thrilling, like my heart was beating so fast every time I was there on gay night. Nice. And that, yeah, wasn't even like a dyke night. <laughs> my first one was in Buffalo and it was a place called Roxy's, Ooh. which is closed now, unfortunately, because man, I spent so much time at Roxy's. I remember that I went to a homecoming dance I think it was my senior year of high school and I was so depressed because I just felt like there's nobody here that I can be with. I have this secret and like my friends are oblivious to it. They have no idea. And all I want to do is be in a space with queer women right now. So I left the dance and I drove downtown Buffalo where, you know, I was out in the suburbs and like we never went downtown unless it was to get into like an 18 and over club and have big X's on our hands. I parked outside of Roxy's across the street and I just sat there for like half an hour and cried and watched lesbians go in and out. Oh my God. It's like this woman just like picking up the phone to hear the background noise. This is like a real experience. When you read that, that brought up that memory of me just like sitting in my car by myself, like wishing that I could go in there. And then I learned that if you went early enough, the door guy wasn't there. So you could get in without having your ID checked. So my friends and I would all go at like 9.30 p.m. and like (laughs) nobody's in the bar. (laughs) And we would drink uh, <laughs> a lot, which we should not have. And the bartenders, man, they had to have known. We probably looked like babies, but 
yeah, for me, it was like there was a pool table. There was like this little alcove off the bar for dancing. And oh, nice. the, the walls were like surrounded by mirrors. And they would put on burlesque shows. And that was my first exposure to burlesque. And it was like really funny and political burlesque. It wasn't just like what I call gloves burlesque, which is just like slowly taking off articles of clothing this would be like someone would be a pregnant nun and you know just like crazy stuff or like there'd be bondage and tying people up on stage I don't know I loved it and that place was like so important and so formative and I would have like straight friends who would come with me well partly because they're like oh a bar we can get into and drink but I think it was very important for me to have my straight friends see me in an environment that was like, this is where I want to be. Like, this is why I'm different. Maybe now you can understand me a little bit better and understand why I haven't been hanging out with you as much because I need to be in spaces like this Mm, where I feel understood. Yeah, I was very compartmentalized. It was like, I have this dedicated group of people who my like regular friends from school don't know. And that's who I go to Tissane with on gay night and like just kept everything separate until I I just had to move to a city and like start over and I had to move far away to like figure out who I was. So I went from Connecticut to Chicago. And when I got there, I had no idea that our apartment was right at the opening to Boys Town, um, which is oh. the gay part of the city there. It was at Halstead and Belmont. It's just rainbows everywhere. It's where the Pride Parade begins. So I went from like no gay culture at all in Connecticut just to the gayest spot <laughs> in all of Chicago. And that's where I saw like just my first drag shows and just drag queens would like sit on my stoop every night smoking. So it was, it was great. So it's very much like gay man culture that kind of yeah, initiated you. Into, it did. Yeah. yeah. I think this human connection is so necessary, which is why I think we keep taking over the bars. So I think one of the stereotypes, I don't know if I wrote it down or not, but I think there's a stereotype. Oh, because we have apps now and we have her and Lex and Tinder that we no longer need space. Oh, like lesbians can find each other to hook up or they can even find friends on Lex. But I think the human connection, which is so hard during COVID-19, is (laughs) really necessary. Like you have these memories that are so fond because you were there. You were there in these spaces. You were there seeing the drag queen perform in front of you. I think it's really important just to meet people face to face. And that's how not only can you meet people for relationships but also just to meet friends and i think yeah queer family is so important too and just to have a queer friend who can understand your life in a different way that you don't have to explain everything to a straight person you don't have yeah. to explain your entire queer experience yeah and so i think we need to keep creating these spaces even though we have an online platform and i think honestly when i hear a lot of comedians who are gay there's always a joke about tinder like that people are sick of it or people are finding creepy people or i think there's a lot of fatigue to it and so i've noticed since 2017 starting this a lot of people have started different parties in the city and yeah. so i think even our founders alana and loretta and then lee taylor also does this with us as well they asked a the question oh should we keep going because there's so much lesbian space now and i'm like well we're doing something a little bit different that yeah, we're not in business here. We're not doing this to get money. We're doing this as a fundraiser and to kind of create this like activist space. So even one of our events is really unusual. We do a pride event on Sundays as well. And so what we do is a lost dyke bar tour throughout the West Village. And it's a different group of women who tend to be older and I think are 
kind of recalling or trying to see the spaces that once were there. Yeah. And some of the spaces are so sad. <laughs> like oh we usually start at we started at Stonewall last time. Um, I need to do this. It's it's Is, really I saw fun. something for like a walking tour yep. around this. Yeah. It's a walking tour and it takes it takes like three hours because we are like walking all throughout the city. And so Oh, my God. Like, the Duchess, which was, like, this grand, great cafe in the West Village is now a Starbucks. And, like, when you see that, you're just like, why? Crazy Nannies, that was, like, a really popular Latina bar in particular, had, like, crazy dance parties. Like, one of our historians found the actual music one of the DJs played at Crazy Nannies and was playing it the whole time they were talking. And now it's, like, a dog daycare center. (laughs) It's, like, all the spaces what they've turned into are, like, so gentrified and sad. And it's, like... We made the West Village interesting and vibrant. And I think we can, of course, like take back that space and, you know, still support our spaces that are still here, like Cubby Hole and Julius and Henrietta Hudson's and Christopher Street. I still consider ours. The Piers, I still consider ours. You know, there's so much history and so much romance there. And of course, we never learn it in school. Like we all have to (laughs) do this research at Lesbian Her Story Archive or do this research, you know, deep into the unknowns of the internet um, to figure out who is running these spaces or what these spaces were like. And a lot of it is through like oral history projects and stuff like that as well. Yeah. But that's been like a fun one to do. Absolutely. Because you realize, oh, no, we did have space. Like, and I think as one of the stereotypes, lesbians don't go out once they're in a relationship. They nest. I just don't see that as true. I think some folks, yeah, sure. When they get in a relationship, no matter if they're straight, gay, dykes. Yeah, sure. They can they can stay at home a lot. But I think a lot of couples still want to go out and get a drink together and feel comfortable in a queer space. I don't think once you get in a relationship, like it all it all just stops, especially in New York City, where people really love to go out and experience the city. Yeah. And so I think that's been a hurtful one because that's been an argument to not have dyke spaces or dyke bars anymore. It's like, oh, lesbians don't go out once they're in a relationship. And it's like, this isn't true. And this isn't a good excuse for you not to build space for us to exist in. Well, I think too that dyke bars are seen as a place where I know that the point in my life when I was going the most to them was when I was single and trying to date and I was going like out twice a week to gay bars in Atlanta when I lived there and thinking like oh it's just a place to meet women pick up women well not only did I not meet anybody to date at any of these bars but I did make friends like I like yes. It actually became a place to like strengthen my friendships, hang out with my friends, meet new people who were also like awkwardly standing around uh, waiting for women to hit on them uh, <laughs> and and form friendships. And again, also like inviting sometimes straight friends into the spaces to strengthen those relationships too. Not that we want your straight friends at the bar all the time but you know it does kind of help them understand absolutely a little bit about like your culture and a little bit about your life and maybe like hopefully they feel uncomfortable and then know how I feel when I have to go to like an Irish pub on St. Patrick's Day and how (laughs) horribly uncomfortable it is for me to see those hetero behaviors on display (laughs) I saw two tweets related to this one was 
all straight people should have to wear volunteer badges when they're at a gay bar. Yes. And, you know, like, maybe, <laughs> maybe. Yes. And then there was another one that was like, I'm so sick of straight people treating gay spaces like it's a five-year-old's birthday party they just discovered. Like, oh. it's this, like, funny, quirky new thing. And it's like, it's like so silly. And it's yeah. like, nope, this was something that we created to survive. And this could be the only space on earth where people feel like themselves. Yeah. It's very political, very important, and very serious. And that's why I think I'm so pissed about the lack of dyke bars because I want them everywhere. I want dyke space everywhere. I want dyke nights everywhere. And we, we're, of course, advertising, you know, diking out. We're advertising Alex Coon's Babe Town. Of course. <laughs> we're advertising new genderqueer and transgender events. We're not competitive. We want all the gay space, all right. the dyke space, all the queer space. We want it all. And yeah. so, like, keep creating it. And you know what? If you're listening to this and you're like, oh, I've always wanted to create a night or I've always wanted to create a fundraising event, like, totally do it. I've had times where I've had events that have sucked, really sucked, like that nobody went or that, you know, it just was in the wrong neighborhood or the wrong bar. And then there are nights that we're rocking. And so yeah. I think don't get discouraged and, you know, give it a shot and you can absolutely do it. Like, Go into a bar that you think might be cool and make friends with the bartender and tell them you want to start. We do Saturdays every second Saturday and we do it around happy hour time. So like a five to nine, five to ten spirit where there's nothing. There's nothing ever yeah. like at right. five o'clock on Saturdays. So yeah. like then when you suddenly have like 40 queers go into a bar, they're like, oh, this is great. And they want to work with you for the rest of your life because right. they're like, oh, you made us so much money when nobody comes into our bar at this yeah, time. Yeah, that's right. what I was going to ask next. Like what goes into planning like the ideal kind of gathering like what are the best circumstances like location time it's interesting because we're always switching around we don't have a dedicated location and it's different the queers that come to the manhattan events versus the brooklyn events we used friends and lovers in brooklyn for the most events because we had a good working relationship and they also have a giant stage they have a front area that's a little like cubby hole that's this just very small cute bar and so for a while, we were doing these dyke nights where we were having basically a variety show. We'd have burlesque, musicians, comedy, just all sorts of performers who are local and kind of new to NYC. And then we collect for the charities at the front door. And so I always work the front door because I always want to see who's coming in. I want to yeah. talk to them. I want to like <laughs> talk about politics. Like, yeah. like I want to chat them up. And so... That's the space we've used the most. However, we are trying to keep it more interesting and keep switching because I think people get fatigued with one space. Yeah. Oddly, Mr. at the Woods has worked always at the Woods. Oddly, yep. Pad at Union Pool has always worked at Union <laughs> Pool. Yeah. I don't know. Some parties got in there and it worked for them. But I like the idea of being, we were supposed to be a dream baby. And so the idea of being in this cute little candlelit cocktail bar one day yeah. and then DBA, which is a huge bar with an outdoor space and having all these dogs in there. Like really changing up the atmospheres and the different kinds of dykes who might come to the different events. We are definitely not about being cool at all. We do yeah. like virtually no advertising. We get like no, that none sounds of the press. pretty cool. <laughs> no press, no advertising. People just hearing about it. You know, just uh, hearing about that's it. That's the cool way of doing things. So when you say you do all these different events and going back to the stereotypes, it makes me think like because there isn't one specific type of space or event that all lesbians are like yes just like yeah that's a funny thing about it like some people really want a romantic vibe some people just want the outdoor vibe some people just want to be in Brooklyn because they're next door yeah. we can't judge it if we were actually running this as a business we could probably you know have some metrics and like understand what age is or yeah. who is coming to the party but like sure. we're so grassroots that I don't know it's always just kind of like shooting in the wind yeah 
Yeah, those are the best ones. That reminds me, there's a group called Slow Mo in Chicago that it, it, it feels political a little, but it's also just a big party and they put on dance parties. But also, you know, if you're like sober, there's like a big portion of any kind of queer community that's looking for sober queer events. There's great. yoga events during the day. I don't know. I think I just wanted to shout out Slow Mo because it was <laughs> cool. Give them that. Absolutely. Give them that. I'll, I'll shout them out on our page. Too. Yeah. I'll be like, if you're in Chicago, do you have people who are just um, contacting you trying to open a sect of Dyke Bar Takeover, you know? Sure. Uh, we did for a while, while we have NYC Dyke Bar Takeover as our current page, we did have a DC one. Casey ran it. She did a great job. I think overall, DC, what was funny enough, created two Dyke Bars and a lot of parties. And then suddenly there wasn't a real need for it. They created XX Plus and a League of Her Own. And so suddenly then there was queer space. One. Oh my God. <laughs> We're always looking if you want to open a chapter with us. It's very cool, very chill. We have zero money. We only have <laughs> stickers that we give out, basically. And so our whole method is basically it's not a business. It's volunteer run. You give money to the charity. You definitely pay your artists. And you just have a good time in a bar. And you try not to compete with other people. So the timing of five to nine is so we're not competing with other parties and other queer space. You can start out here at Dyke Bar Takeover, have a happy hour drink, see a show. And then you can party at Hot Rabbit or you can party at Cubby or Henrietta Hudson's, you know. As a podcast network, our first priority has always been audio and the stories we're able to share with you. But we also sell merch. And organizing that was made both possible and easy with Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell and grow at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. They have an all-in-one e-commerce platform and in-person POS system, so wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. With the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. Shopify has allowed us to share something tangible with the podcast community we've built here, selling our beanies, sweatshirts, and mugs to fans of our shows without taking up too much time from all the other work we do to bring you even more great content. And it's not just us. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Shopify is also the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash realm, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash R-E-A-L-M now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash realm. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it. Or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. 
and how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. So when I first heard of Dyke Bar Takeover, I thought that it was more of like Dyke Bar Ambush, where it wasn't like coordinated with the venue and all of a sudden it's like, the Dykes are here, oh, we're that's taking kind over. Of, that's how I registered it when I first came across it yeah, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I was like, no, it's not a hostile <laughs> takeover. Unfortunately. As well, much as I like to terrorize the streets with our presence. You know, we were thinking about doing that, but... Alana the other day went into this bar called Tom and Jerry's in Soho, and I'm I'm going to say their name and put them on full blast because they deserve this. And yes. So we yes. asked them to host an event because they were a dog friendly bar, and before DBA was awesome and had us do the event. We were thinking it was a huge space. It was in Soho. We hadn't done an event there yet, and they said no. They were like, we're not interested in having like a bunch of dykes in the bar. Like we don't we don't want to have this. No, and we were like, whoa okay, like, then we're not going to support you and we're not going to use you. So I think that's been one thing. The vetting has helped. It's knowing who's like really homophobic and terrible. And like, actually, I don't want to support your bar at all or have us like give our queer dollars to your bar when you're going to be that hostile to us. I mean, I'm I'm sure a big part of that was homophobia, but I wonder like, are there certain stereotypes with lesbian, like... Who's going to buy the drinks if no men are there? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Is is that like, oh yeah, well, men, men spend more money because they're trying to get women drunk to get laid so if you're not having men here what's the point absolutely I think there was a little bit of that I think because it's Soho and it's a bougie neighborhood that it's like oh if we just have our regulars in here and they're not scared off by you that you know we're gonna do much better and it's like (laughs) okay you know the funniest part is if we're talking about stereotypes because I think there are oddly a lot of people who have never met a lesbian or have lesbians in their lives or just like right don't experience us even it's- people like in new york like i know my former brother-in-law like me and my ex-wife were like the only lesbians he had ever known and you know thankfully he was like a super cool dude and very open to it but it, it was like a big learning curve for him it was just like so much stuff that he didn't know never had to think about before that you know once we became family it really hit him and that's someone who grew up on long island and was living and working in new york even me as a like dyke i don't get to hang around a lot like now that i'm co-hosting diking out now that i forced you to be my friend <laughs> I um I really wasn't used to it because I was so focused on comedy all through my 20s. And those are very hetero spaces. And now since moving to New York, there's like, you know, like queer comedy spaces and there's a lot more blending. But I'm just used to putting myself in situations where I think I'd be the only queer person. My own girlfriend still is so excited when we hang out with Cecilia and Carolyn. Like <laughs> Mostly because Cecilia is a lovely person and less to do yeah, with me. My girlfriend is obsessed with Cecilia, but she asks me like can we go to the movies with them again like because she as a comedian too we never really get to hang out with lesbians like we don't have that kind of built into our lives so it's still you know for 30 year old lesbians very exciting well so this is something I want to talk about too because Sarah you sent over like a list of great stereotypes and mostly from HuffPo yeah (laughs) (laughs) HuffPo doing the work of collecting stereotypes uh you know stereotypes like it's not just the way that people outside stereotype us it's the way that we stereotype ourselves absolutely and the stereotypes that 
we have about lesbians. Some of them for me are, you know, I mean, I know I came out when I was 17 and maybe first realized it when I was 16. And for, even though that now seems to be the norm, uh, back then I was like probably the only person dating someone of the same sex in my high school. I mean, maybe there were a handful of us, but nobody was talking to each other. And I was like, well, I'm not a lesbian because a lesbian looks like X, Y, Z or a lesbian acts this way. And that's not me. So it can't be me. Yeah, and and then even once I was out and dating women, there were still all of these stereotypes. Oh yeah, I mean that I, that I held. We hit the very end of the butch femme wave. That right. there was a while, you know, nineteen thirties, nineteen forties, nineteen fifties. Like you were butch or you were femme. Yeah, that was it. There was no androgyny. There was no in between, and you can kind of see that in older queer community too. That it's really this line that's just drawn in the sand. Yeah, and so I totally understand you saying that because from what we see from like old timey pictures or if you listen to elder dykes and you see them, you're like, Oh, I don't fit this mold because I'm also kind of androgynous too. Like Mm -hmm. I identify as kind of a soft butch woman. I have longer hair. And so at first when you saw me, you might not think that I'm butchish or lesbian at all. Right. And so, yeah, it's a new time that we're in. Definitely. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's interesting. Like that butch used to specifically mean like short hair, (laughs) very boyish yeah you know the stereotype who's the man in the relationship and it's such an annoying question especially now that we're like over gender (laughs) right right yeah and it's like i remember seeing a comment that there was a couple that was traditionally butch and femme and the butch person was carrying a baby for the couple and there were all these comments that were like oh, the stud isn't supposed to carry, blah, blah, blah. And then there was just one comment that got to the top that said, mind your heterosexual business. <laughs> I just feel like using that all the time. Yeah. It's just like, yeah, mind your heterosexual That's a t-shirt. business. That's, yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. the response to the dyke stereotypes, really. Mind your heterosexual business. I love that. Yeah. I was just going to talk to Ceci about new uh, t-shirts. So I think that has to rise to the top. One that you had on here, too, was lesbians hate men. Uh, Now, is that a stereotype or is that just true? I found this on a lot of these uh, (laughs) horrible, not well-written lists that, you know, I I think people don't understand what feminism is. You know, I I was listening to Dolly Parton's podcast and she really is adamant about not identifying as a feminist. And it was interesting because the host of that podcast was like, it's a part of me that went to college that feels like bad about hearing Dolly Parton say that. But yeah. like I get why Dolly Parton wouldn't identify as a feminist. Though you know? she was in the movie Nine to Five. Exactly. Yeah. And which like, is like super was like a big feminist rights. movie at the time. Yeah. yeah. And it's like identifying as too. a buzzkill. Like, you know? Yeah. <laughs> like she was always writing about like I mean, way back in the day, writing country songs about like pregnant teens who were left behind or like women rising up against their men. Like she is like really, really feminist. About having a crush on Jolene. That's (laughs) what the song is about. (laughs) Uh, You know, she shares a a bed with her friend Judy, but not her husband, but she's not a feminist. do not hate men. Like, I just have to say that. Like we have, we have male friends and we work with men and men are a part of our world. It's just like, we only hate men if you're shitty to us. I mean, that's basically the answer. We We hate hate shitty people. Yeah. We hate the patriarchy. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But even then, it's not all of us, which kind of leads me into another one that I added to this list, a stereotype that all lesbians are liberal. Oh, Oh, because that's something that when I moved to Atlanta, I was like, oh, this is not the case. And I had friends who are dating uh, Republicans like 
proud Republicans, people working in public policy who are lesbian Republicans. And I was like, how? What? This uh, echoes to to the speaking of uh, plagues. Right. The beginning of the Reagan era where you still had gay men working for Reagan when he was saying that like HIV AIDS wasn't real and wasn't a problem and all this. And you had like people in our community working against us. This is like the type of thing I'm talking about that this is not solidarity. This is not helpful. Like this is not what you should be doing. Like you should always be helping your community, advancing our rights, like being brave out there. I think that's one end of the coin where you're just like, I'm just going to do what's right for me. And it's me culture. And I don't really care about my community, but I'm still going to expect to go to the gay bars and be welcome. You know, that was the other side that was like, we see you on TV with Reagan, like going against us. Like, why are you here? Like, you shouldn't be accepted. I think another present problem is, you know, TERFs. And I think that's a real divide in our community is, and I would say that's a conservative Republican viewpoint to say that transgender people shouldn't be a part of the dyke or lesbian community that they should be not invited into our space or our bars yeah you know and there's a lot of people who identify as trans exclusionary radical feminists and it's horrible and they're even recruiting on college campuses because it sounds cool right i'm a radical feminist and this is a radical group and for lesbians and it's like you know they're really getting people i found that a lot of turfs hate that term and they're like no I'm like how dare you call me a turf I mean I also think that turf gets thrown around a lot and there is a lot of confusion totally. as to like who's who's really a turf but yeah that 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 has been a problem within the community and, and the thing that kills me about it and whenever I've engaged with one on the internet I'm like do you realize these are all super conservative talking points and these Absolutely. are all talking points that have been used against gay people like cis gay people in the past and now you're using the same tactics to bully an oppressed group within our community who's like literally like having higher murder rates than anyone like are you kidding me like you can't you know and it's always a shock to to hear that and uh, one time I was on a flight to LA and boy was that a long flight because behind me was this young butch lesbian talking to the person sitting next to her who I don't think she knew about how she's a Republican and how gay people should like have to like fight for for their own rights and it shouldn't be up to politicians I'm like what are you talking about it was just like all yeah it was all nonsense that she's been like telling herself so that she can not have difficult conversations with her family or confront the beliefs that she held from a young age maybe and really challenge her her thinking Yeah, every once in a while, there's like this reminder that it's like, you know, again, we're here in our like liberal bubble and being like, oh, yeah, like, how could you be queer and not be? And and I'm not saying like, it's okay to be a Republican because I do not think that's (laughs) that's okay. And I know we have some Republican listeners uh, and that's a whole different discussion to to get into so i'm not going to get into it right now but there are people who are conservative for whatever reason it may be and the narrative i've heard is yeah oh i'm making a choice like for some reason conservative queer people feel like oh i don't have to follow through with the masses who are liberal i'm making my own choice and i'm standing by a candidate for other reasons and it's like shooting yourself in the foot it's just like you know you're voting for the person that's against your rights like that's why we're voting for more democratic and liberal candidates it's because 
with this certain party, which is problematic in its own right, oh, yeah. we're able to get rights. And when we have a Republican Party, as we know, having a Republican Congress and having a Republican Supreme Court and having a horrible, horrible president right now, that we lose rights. Yes. You know, we can see this in rapid time unfolding. And it's so easy to take away our rights because they're so new. And yeah. I think there's a a couple of lawyers who are following everything, but we've lost about 26 major federal rights, you know, and so we're definitely keeping track of this. We're definitely aware of this. And right now there's actually an LGBT employer rights bill on the docket that yeah. we shouldn't be able to have rights in the workplace. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is the time we're talking about here. And so if you have thought about being activist or if you've thought about voting and you've never voted before, and if you want to make a change, like, totally in the U.S. get involved in politics right now. It's right. important. Because of that stereotype and having this platform of this podcast, a lot of times, I mean, we talk about politics here and there, but not too much because we, first and foremost, are a comedy podcast. And Sorry, but, but I made did, it dark. No, 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 sorry, no, no, so no, political. No. You're like this damn activist. I, I mean, you know, we, we do have a lot of episodes. I mean, sure. there's room for episodes about hats, and then there's room for episodes where we might get a little bit more political because being queer is political. Yeah. And I think sometimes I just assume like, oh, well, all of our listeners are registered to vote. All of our listeners. And I'm like, oh, no, I'm just making assumptions based on like the small groups of queer people that I hang out. Yeah. And even the, like some of my closest queer friends like didn't vote in the last election. And I'm like, what? And we had a listener comment on a post last week or something like hashtag like Trump, Trump 2020. 2020. Oh. I know. <laughs> I know Man. there's so hashtag I love losing rights. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Makes no sense. Yeah, I know. That listener was like, when are you gonna get someone on with a different point of view? I'm like, I'm not having someone on in bad faith. This is not a listener not this episode. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Isn't this the listener who's upset that we have veterans on, but we still haven't had one that aligns with her Trump twenty twenty <laughs> like my Well, no, no. Th th this listener said, When are you gonna have a, a veteran on or someone who's in the service? like assuming that that person would be and then we conservative did. yeah we have had multiple people who are veterans and they are by no means conservative and if you think right now that conservatives are doing good things for veterans boy are you are oh, you yeah. mistaken yeah. uh because they are being thrown under the bus left and right but okay m let's find a more fun stereotype to so move on. one <laughs> i was thinking about actually today maybe this might go off the deep end a little but uh <laughs> All lesbians like to camp or know how to camp. <laughs> that was like right, the that right funniest wrong. one. So I think the image we have, maybe if we're following the stereotype narrative, that there's a butch woman starting a fire in the woods and trying to be masculine or trying to impress a girlfriend or something. But Sounds I think hot. This is, Go on. <laughs> yeah, you know. <laughs> but I think that, you know, this goes deeper and maybe this is going to go right out there. But I think there's a deep fear that maybe we will, you know, if seeing a world with ice or seeing a world where you can just round up certain groups of people like immigrants, if something like that happens to queer people, we might have to leave the cities and go out to the country. So we had in the 70s, the woman with the Y communities that were yeah. self-sufficient. Yes. They still exist. New York Times did a great article about this. I they read that. create their own sustainable it. farming, Cecilia water. Cecilia wants to move to one. <laughs> My mom uh, does. <laughs> your mom. Yeah. You know. My mom would too. <laughs> so like we've been for decades, you know, having this idea of removing ourselves from society and being sustainable. And so I think there's this little gnawing fear of, oh, if we 
we had to get out of Dodge and suddenly homosexuality was illegal, we might have to like just go to the woods and learn how to live off the land and yeah. find our own water and do this. Like, I yeah. think there's actually a deeper lesbian loves camping reason for that being a stereotype. And that's like, oh, like we have to be in survival mode in case we're they're coming for us. You yeah. Know? Yeah. Even if that's not the conscious reason, it's just getting away from society in general. No, oh, right? totally. Yeah. So I, I get the appeal. Because that's another space besides like creating dike bars or dike cafes or whatever. Like creating campsites is actually or places out in nature is one like a camp or, you know, these women's communities. Like that's another space to create and exist. And I think it's important for us to be in nature and be like we aren't these like freaks who are accidents. So, like we're human beings who are like a part of this earth. Yeah. Like we deserve to be here. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Have you been to a camp? I have not. Okay, I've I have uh, <laughs> friends who have gone and have really loved it, but that was the first thought I, I had as far as like a nature place for dykes. Yeah. <laughs> I was wondering if that also came about because maybe many of us were in Girl Scouts and spent a lot of time trying to oh, totally. uh, impress all the other girls with our skills you know earn, earn those badges and show off take it real seriously absolutely i wanted to be a girl scout so bad yeah i did not register with immigrant parents unfortunately. Oh. i was i was for a little bit and then i was getting in trouble so much at girl scouts because i was too rebellious um and i didn't like falling in line and would try to like push boundaries within the girl scouts and as a kid they were just like no you can't you've got to stop doing that uh oh yeah so i was like i don't think i want to do this anymore you started your own yeah (laughs) and also boy scouts always seemed like they were doing cooler stuff i wonder if some of these two like you know lesbians like all being good with tools and stuff like that a lot of them form from the idea that we don't have men in our lives so we have to learn how to do these things that like normal women don't do and it's like all right women like live by themselves now like (laughs) this is 2020 like straight women, bisexual women, pansexual, like every woman has to put together her Ikea furniture at some point. Right. right. Like (laughs) I think as you're reading, it's flattening out. (laughs) Like you're reading like any history book. And I I finished that like new queer history in Brooklyn book or whatever. And then they were talking about the first drag king that was recorded was in 1860. It's like these things have like been around. Like women have been fixing their own houses since the 1800s. Like women have been, you know, able to do all these like quote unquote masculine jobs for years. And, you know, if you think about World War II, it was women who were building all the war machines and stuff on the dock. Those were women building airplanes and tanks and all the stuff for, for there. So, yeah, this has been happening for decades. You know, yeah. this isn't anything new. Yeah. And so I feel like when you're talking about terms like genderqueer, it, you know, it, it, it gets like a lot of confusion. It's like, oh, this is such a new idea. And then when you're going back in history, you're like... No, like people have always like felt this way, like maybe two genders. Like this isn't like a brand new concept. We just have a word for it now. Yeah, yeah. for sure. What about you hauling? Uh, you hauling. I can't believe it took this long. Bring <laughs> 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 up that stereotype. It's the <laughs> ultimate stereotype. But I think it's true. Yeah. I mean, I, I think right. Yeah. The, is that the wait? One, that one of you as a comedian should tell the U haul joke. I think in case somebody doesn't. Oh, know in case what it is. someone doesn't know yeah. about U hauling, it's yeah. when two <laughs> lesbians start 
dating and immediately move in together, hence packing up a U-Haul. Yeah, but the joke is, what does a lesbian bring on a second date? Oh, right, the actual. See, it's so normal to me. I forgot (laughs) to even mention. Yeah, (laughs) that it evolved from that joke. Yeah, right. Rachel McCartney, who we had on a couple of weeks ago, has a really fun joke about how I'm paraphrasing the joke, but it's not like, oh, my God, I found the one. It's that lesbians make up X amount of the population. It's very rare to meet a lesbian. So it's more like, oh, my God, I found one. (laughs) Yeah. Now I must keep her. Yeah. And trap her in a lease. I think it's real. I think it's kind of real. Um. Even like with me and my girlfriend, we didn't U-Haul because we started dating for a few weeks and we knew she was about to move a thousand miles away. Yet we still in a way U-Hauled in that we committed to a long distance relationship after not that long (laughs) dating. That's a form of U-Hauling, I think. I think it's almost the opposite of gay male stereotypes where you're always on Grindr and you're hooking up every day or you have multiple partners a day. And so suddenly like the lesbian stereotype is... You find one person and you're together forever and you're U-hauling. But I think in New York City, when you're talking to people, it's a little bit different. Now we have so much like polyamory or like open marriages or like yeah. there's so like I a do lot think of things that that's going changing. on. Yeah. yeah. I, I think that polyamory, like all of the younger queers who I'm meeting who are a lot more fluid in like every sense that they're in relationships, yeah, with multiple people or they're not looking to move in with people that, you know, I mean, New York City is its own beast in terms of, like, living situation that a lot of people move in together just to save uh, on rent. Mm -hmm. But when you get outside of New York, I wonder how much of that is going on or if it's still, like, the two lesbians who find each other attractive and Schenectady, we better move in. (laughs) You know, we better... Buy a house. I mean, I know that when I had a ex who was moving down to Atlanta after they graduated college and it wasn't even a discussion. It was like they were moving in with me and never going to get their, their own place, you know, and, and that was also something where it moved from being like we hooked up two weeks later. We're in an exclusive long distance relationship. Mm-hmm. You wow. know? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. No, I think that happens a lot. I think you're right that it's exactly like the joke. Like sometimes you find the one other lesbian in your very small community and it's just like, grab your mind. But yeah, at the same time, I think it's a little bit changing in cities just with the whole polyamorous situation that's happening more and more. Yeah. Yeah. And with like Lex and just more connection. Yeah. But at the same time, I also have friends who meet someone and literally the next day they're like, I'm going to marry them. Wow. Just letting you know, I'm going to marry them. I'm like, okay, maybe we should take a breath. (laughs) Oh, you have a friend. I'm doing air quotes. I'm not talking about myself, She loves marriage. I do love marriage. (laughs) Done it twice. Yeah. (laughs) Hopefully I'll stop there. Yeah. I think, too, going to lesbians try to, quote unquote, recruit straight women. I think that like enough people are out that lesbians don't need to or I don't see lesbians going into straight spaces. And I think this is like this like demon ideology from like the conservative people that there's like this evil lesbian going into bars, like trying to steal your woman. And I just don't don't see it. I think, well, being in New York again, where there is a lot of queer space, like everyone's just kind of like chilling with themselves. Yeah. I think women certainly can get a crush on a straight woman, but I don't know. I haven't heard of anybody going as far as going crazy and stalking or doing anything horrible, like in my life personally, like I don't know. Like, I I find that I'm attracted to women who are gay. (laughs) 
Like, yeah. I'm, you know? Oh, well, yeah. <laughs> that, that's been the, the case for me that I never had been a person, like, I never had crushes on my straight friends or, or anything like that to me. Like, I'm not into, like, looking for a challenge or trying to, but I do know people who really do enjoy being, like, flirty with straight women. But then those, quote, unquote, straight women, maybe it's not that they're straight. It's that, like, there's a connection because they're a little queer and they're digging you. So then you're going around being like, oh, yeah, I only date straight women. I'm like, do you only date straight women or are you dating just like a lot of queer people people, who are questioning and and don't know it? Because I don't think that people are actually going after straight people. I just don't see this. I just don't see this scenario. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I feel like I would go for very gay looking girls be- to the point where I would j- just trick myself into thinking that I was attracted to them because I knew that they were gay and like just felt like I had to. It was like on the complete opposite end of going after straight girls. I was just like, this seems it's more viable. So I'm going to go for this like more mask looking person yeah yeah for sure i think the lesbians <laughs> love astrology that's probably the funniest one. Oh, that one you know checks out for me <laughs> <laughs> i was gonna say i feel like this is more of a recent phenomenon but I then did. the first like really big long-term relationship i was in when i met that person the first thing they asked me was what was my sign and I kind of forgot about that for a while, but I was like, it was the only person who'd ever asked me what my sign was upon meeting them. And I'm like, oh, they were really ahead of the curve on this astrology thing. But now it's just like everybody's talking about their rising moon, whatever. And I'm like, huh? Yeah, it's when really did this big. happen? I know that for some events, we've really been asked to have a tarot reader now, and that's kind of a new yeah, thing. I've seen the That's tarot like readers a at a lot of queer <laughs> events. And, you know. you know, and that being said, I was like very into tarot cards as like a, a teenager and into that stuff, but not so much into astrology. I, I think my theory is because a lot of us leave our quote unquote traditional religions. Like yeah. I grew up Irish Catholic, right? Yeah, And same. so it was just like, I remember even being in church. Like, I used to go to church when I was 16 because I just wanted to, like, get out of my house. And so I remember same. there was, like, right? Like, 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 and then your mom could be like, oh, but she's going to church. It's like, cool. Like, can you believe this teen? But, like, yeah. you know. I remember this priest was up there during gay marriage in Massachusetts and was just like, oh, we need to, like, pray about this some more. Like, it's not going to be, like, right with Jesus. Like, he had this whole thing about, like, gay marriage. I remember I, like, walked out of that church and, like, did not return. Like, I was really upset by it. I was like, wow, I am, like, not welcome here. And so I think for people that might have experienced that in their various, quote-unquote, traditional religions, that maybe you want a religion and it touched you in some way and you felt connected in some way. And then to break that connection totally was just so heartbreaking. You had to find another connection. Yeah. And so I think through astrology, which kind of isn't like really a religion, but kind of as this like, you know, mystical but, effect. Yeah. You're looking effect. for meaning. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? Right. I think that's why a lot of lesbians picked up astrology. That's my theory. What do you think are some of the most harmful stereotypes in our community? Definitely the butch femme thing that you have to be butch or you have to be femme, which was a case back in the day, really, um, yeah. that was cultural. But that's not the case anymore. You have a lot of people that are, quote unquote, straight looking or very androgynous. And I think also really accepting gender queer folks or transgender folks, especially trans women who are just coming out and may not, quote unquote, pass. 
Yeah. I think that's uh, really necessary and that's hurtful that you should look one way as a stereotype in order to be a lesbian. Because I, I think that also forces people not to be themselves. Mm-hmm. And the whole point of the queer community is embracing ourselves for who we are and how we really feel and all that stuff. And then to place this like, well, you have to look this way or be this way or act this way, present this way. That's what makes it harmful. So now, you know, somebody's like, I'm not hiding anymore. And then we're like, just kidding. You have to hide to be accepted by <laughs> One of the stereotypes us. too was like the L word is the best de- depiction of lesbian life. And just, you know, it's just so Hilarious. awful because you have so much you know, body diversity, racial diversity, you have so much social class diversity that just is not captured at all. This is like 0.01% of what certain lesbians in the community might look like. We're not all like glamorous Hollywood movie stars who are living our lives. I think that that's a definite outside stereotype. Totally. Because I think a lot of us watch (laughs) The L Word. I mean, I know I was confused because I was like, oh, is there a world like this in LA that like really exists of where everybody's living like this. Yeah. Like it didn't feel relatable to anything I knew about my experience of being queer. That was like some of my first stand up jokes were about the L word. I remember, yeah. yeah, how it gave me like false expectations about what like dyke spaces looked like. And I remember one joke, it's like, wait, are you telling me if I just eat pussy, I'll have an awesome haircut? Is that how that works? <laughs> like, it gave me really weird <laughs> expectations. I think in a lot of straight films about lesbians in particular, like, I was thinking about Liana. This is like an old movie from like the 70s. Yeah. And they have a dyke bar scene in it. And I was like, oh, where was this? Like, it looks awesome. Like, it looks like a 70s cubby. Like, there's stuff in the ceiling. Like, it's a little dance floor. And so afterwards, the director said, oh, we just like created this in like some Asian restaurant. We just like went there and just like created the dyke bar. And so I think there's like a lot of falsehoods like this where they're not filming in actual dyke bars like they're creating dyke bars like they exist and yeah a lot of that's a huge stereotype that oh there there are, must be like a dyke bar in every major city especially the liberal ones and a lot of straight people are really surprised when you're like oh boston hasn't had one in decades san francisco as we know the lexicon closed so long ago like yeah these major cities that would be even considered very very queer don't have the space. Yeah. And so I think that's the first stereotype that like <laughs> the space is everywhere. There are dike bars everywhere. It's just not true. And then the second stereotype I would say is that, oh, well, if you don't have the space, you don't really deserve it because you don't really go out, you know, or you can find each other on an app. Yeah. And it's like, I'm sorry, if I pass like 10 million straight bars a day in New York City and there are literally three in the entire city, like for us. No, I don't think we can just like settle down, roll over and say we never need space again. I think we deserve the nice cocktail bar. I think we deserve the speakeasy. I think we deserve whatever bar you can imagine, the rooftop bar, you know, like we deserve all the space. And so, yeah, I'd love to see like 10 new bars. And believe me, I think folks would come out to them like queer people would come out to new queer spaces. Absolutely. If it had a rooftop bar. (laughs) (laughs) You know, like imagine any type of bar with our community in it and would happen. Yeah. What is your ideal dyke bar? Oh my God. This is like my favorite question ever. Thank you for asking it. Um, (laughs) It's hard to find a brick and mortar store. I think that's like the real challenge is like, where would you put it? Right. You know, despite everything else. But I saw that Lumber Dykes went out of business in Hell's Kitchen. And it's this huge, ugly green building in which I would keep the Lumber Dyke sign on. I would have the front be a nice coffee shop that you would also have like youth programming or you could co-work in it. You would have like a good coffee program. And then there'd be like a door with a bouncer for the back that would be a long bar 
uh, gender-neutral bathrooms. It would have a library of books that you could check out with all sorts of like queer, dyke, whatever, gay topics. It would have a DVD library that you could watch a movie while you're at the bar so that you could experience that as well so that we were like keeping this whole library Great cocktails, great service, like nice people who were dressed up and really made it seem like a good experience for you to go to. Stage in the back where you could have, you know, you could have diking out, just do a podcast there. You could have burlesque, you could have musicians, you could have, you know, all the entertainment. Then there would be a downstairs in which you could have a DJ booth, another bar, and you could have a dance party. And then really late, you could have submit because Red's looking for a new space. So you could have like even a sex party there. So I would wow. have all the things. Yeah, that's all that the things. <laughs> Very <laughs> stimulating the mind. I've thought about this a lot. And I'm letting you know. So like, please create this. Like if you have the funds, like just create this for yeah. all of us. You know. <laughs> what about you, Melody? What? How Rooftop? am I supposed to? Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. I, about I want all lot. of that. <laughs> I can say Loretta, who's uh, one of the founders and another member, described they loved being on airplanes and so would want to design like a circular, almost airplane type of dyke bar and have all the bartenders wear flight attendant outfits and then it would be traveling to a place every week so it would be like we're traveling to brazil and so it'd be like brazilian drinks and like brazilian food and like brazilian music like happening or whatever so like every week we were like flying to a new queer location and so i thought that was kind of a cool idea for a dyke bar as well yeah yeah (laughs) i want like a pool party there is a group that does this at the jane hotel they have um some like dedicated dyke pool party nights i haven't been able to go to one yet but that's that sounds like a lot of fun that's great more of those then please yeah (laughs) mine is just uh jolene's in san francisco (laughs) i know i've talked about it before but i think jolene's is really my ideal layout of a gay bar i love everything about it so if you're ever in the bay area check out jolene's and support an actual dyke space that's great that exists and when I went, it was after doing a comedy show, and it definitely wasn't as hopping as I would have liked it to be. Oh. So I, it was also like a Wednesday night, but like weeknights, I think, are great times for, for dykes to go out. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's amazing how popular Mr. at the Woods and Padded Union Pool are. Yeah. I mean, it's packed. Well, even, you know, when Stonewall first gave us our time slot and they're like Monday nights and I know people who have like produced on Mondays before and they're like, oh yeah, you know, I got the Monday night slot. I'm like, this is perfect. And we sell it out every time. And you know, I think Stonewall was kind of surprised. And and also, like, that's kind of a takeover of Stonewall because Stonewall usually is not considered a, a dyke space. And oh, yeah. we make it real dykey. And I think, I mean, I don't know about past events there, but I would say right now it's probably, like, the dykiest Oh, you can tell thing that goes on. Some of the gay men who don't realize diking out is happening when they walk upstairs. They're not happy. I know. They're not happy. And I think the drag queen who runs Bingo downstairs hates us. Oh yeah, (laughs) definitely. Because we let we let out when she's getting started. So then people like head downstairs and start talking, and she'll be like, "Shut up! (laughs) Shut up! You're lesbians." Yeah. (laughs) You know that's something the gay men community is need to be a little bit nicer to us. I think a lot of gay men bars should be hiring dyke bartenders and supporting us in the community. I think that it's not the safest or it doesn't feel really great. I remember my partner, Laurence, and I went to Rise and we were just curious, oh, this is a new queer space. Like it's in Hell's Kitchen, Mm -hmm. video bar. It sounds fun. Let's check it out. We were definitely the only woman in there and all male bartenders with their shirts off, which is fine. 
But then when we were talking to some of the patrons or just trying to dance or whatever, they were clearly trying to shove us out without saying it. They were like, oh, you're so cute. Like, oh, some lesbians in the bar are here. Oh, my God, they're so cute. You're yeah. so cute. Like, like, what are you doing here? Like, it's so cute that you're here. And it was like really aggressive and it's like you clearly like don't want us here but you can't really say to us that we can't be here right but i've experienced really that uncomfortable. in hell's kitchen yeah <laughs> it's yeah usually in hell's kitchen <laughs> and it's, it's a lot it's a spectacle when there's uh girls there and i was there with like a very like short haired like blatant <laughs> like presenting lesbian and it was a lot of like the lesbians are here. What are you doing here? And yeah. just there are like certain spaces annoyed. like this. This is in every space. I would say the two I felt the most comfortable in are rock bar, which is the bear bar, which I feel like yes, is so I love rock bar <laughs> body positive and great. They've had a dike bar takeover there. They were so rock welcoming. bar feels like a dike bar. <laughs> it does. Melody, it's so we're cute. gonna go sometime. It's on Christopher Street. Yeah, it's perfect. Yeah, they have really fun drag shows. I think on Wednesday nights that that I've been to. There was one where it was like a Celine Dion themed. Everyone did a Celine Dion and somebody did. Oh, it, it oh, was so uh, it was burlesque and somebody did burlesque as the iceberg in Titanic. <laughs> 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 My heart will go on. It was beautiful. It was great. Um, and yeah. I would say one other space that's really good is therapy. If you've been, it's like all wooden bar. We also had to take bar take over there. It feels like you're therapy. in Aspen. It's like really yeah. good if you're in your thirties and you just want to sit down and have a drink. Mm-hmm. You don't really want to like unskunsk party. So yeah, I think yeah, because yeah. the vibe is already like kind of older men that are just like chilling that yeah. they don't care if you're chilling with them. And they yeah. were so nice to us. This was one of the only bars that did the basics. Like they made a sign that said Dyke Bar Takeover, welcome on the door. I'm talking yeah. like a printout for one cent. Yeah. And put these like little <laughs> things on the table that said like reserve for Dyke Bar Takeover. Yeah. And it was like, that was the only bar that did that for us. <laughs> like what? we bring in like, like 50 people to a bar. I think yeah. the most we did was island to island. We had like a hundred plus. We like slammed that place. Wow. So it's like, if we're bringing in you know like 200 drinks during a happy hour and you don't have that level of like basic writing our name on a chalkboard or like right printing out one sign for one cent like that's mean <laughs> you know, you know <laughs> yeah sometimes i feel like at gay men bars or bars that skew more that way that they're more welcoming to straight women than they mm-hmm. are to lesbians totally and that always has seemed unfortunate yeah to me that's why i felt like i was like oh, god damn it alicia has such a ha- short haircut <laughs> like I, well yeah <laughs> i, I mean, thought would be nicer me. if, like she was more femme. i always wanted the opposite when i lived in atlanta and i was i mean still i'm pretty femme presenting and i would go into these spaces with like makeup and wearing like tight shirts and whatever and all the gay men would assume I was straight and that the gay guy friend that I was there with, that I was just like his quote unquote fag hag or fruit fly. Uh, and that I was just like there to say, I'm like, no, I was here hoping there'd be some other dykes and like every other woman there is straight. And then I'm just being assumed to be straight. And, and then you see how the dynamic changes when they learn you're, you're a lesbian. And it is this bit like, Oh, you're a lesbian. What are you doing here? <laughs> what are you doing out? Yeah. 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 It's like, yeah, we exist out in the wild. Don't, like- don't you have a cat to feed? Yeah. <laughs> But then it's also sad that, you know, straight women have to go to, well, I feel like they fetishize gay men a lot. And that's obviously very problematic. Also, I think sometimes straight women enjoy being in gay bars because they need to feel safe, you know, that they're not going to get hit on by men or like to hang out with a few female friends without having like men be aggressive or make them uncomfortable or whatever. See, I'm for that. I'm absolutely for that. 
idea. The problem I have is like when the bachelorette party comes to town and then again, it's like the five-year-old's birthday party that it's yes, like, yeah. oh, this is like funny. This is so fun. Look at all these men that I can like grind up on. And then when it becomes like that line of like obnoxious. Yeah. And then it's like, you're not just like here to buy a few drinks and feel safe and like talk to the patrons. Like you're not even here because you care about gay people. Like you're here because this is like a quirky thing you can do. And and from from what I hear, that's what Palm Springs has kind of turned into. It's like there are all these gay bars, but they exist to service like bachelorette parties and and things like that. And they're not really for, because I, I, it might be different. I'm not like, I'm not an expert on Palm Springs, but just, I know like when I was there and I was looking at like, Oh, there's like a big gay scene here. And I'm like, Oh, it's not for me. That's how bachelorette parties ruin any space they go into <laughs> comedy yeah. clubs, gay bars. I think oh. it's just bachelorette parties are terrible. Comedy <laughs> clubs for sure. Yeah. Please don't bring your bachelorette party <laughs> to a comedy club. The worst. Uh, unless it's Stonewall and you're queer. And then, <laughs> yeah. And well, bachelor parties too. I did have to do stand up for a show where a bachelor party showed up and took over and that was the worst ever yeah. they were chanting show your tits when I was trying to no. do it. oh my god oh. did you? No. no and this was like <laughs> one of the first stand up shows I ever did too so I didn't know how to handle it but I do remember going I think I heard show your bits like <laughs> bit means joke but they didn't get that and it just failed through and through oh, that's oh, actually man. a cute joke too yeah. <laughs> sorry sorry about that it's funny <laughs> I also want to walk back on that. Don't bring your queer bachelorette party. <laughs> bachelorette yeah, parties no, are yeah. not great for comedy shows. <laughs> it's, people are too drunk. I want to ask, does Dyke Bar take over? Bar is in the name inherently. Do they yep. do sober events? That's a good question. We would be open to doing a sober event. However, we tend to go with what our patrons want. Mm-hmm. So if people want variety shows, if people want mixers our folks want to be in the bar yeah and so they want to drink and they want to meet people that way but at a lot of the bars there are now mixologists who can make sober drinks or there are other options that we've kind of tried to look into so that you can be sober and enjoy these parties and i think too because this party is so early you're not coming into a party where everybody's trashed it's you know 6 p.m maybe people are nursing their first beer of the night and so you don't really feel like you're in this wild animal house situation yeah. at all, um, which is nice. So it almost can feel like a sober party at first. Right. But I don't think there's any pressure to drink either. I think a lot of folks are focused on wellness or, you know, going through sobriety programs. But yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I just more as I grow older, I'm realizing, especially within queer communities, there's trauma. And a lot of people for that reason have had to cut out things they've used to numb that trauma and there's just a lot of like a growing population of sober queer people I'm becoming more and more aware of and wondering how that fits into queer spaces the one event though we do have is the walking tour that is kind of a sober event like we're just kind of walking outside and and doing that and so we're totally willing to do whatever like like nothing's a limit here like we do events everywhere we can get as creative as we want we could have a diking out record a podcast in the middle of the room while you have a bunch of dykes mixing around you if you wanted, you know, like, like we can have anything, you know, and that's been the fun thing about this is just like you throw an idea out there and like maybe it lands, maybe, you know, it doesn't. And so I'd absolutely be open for um, like a sober event. One last question I want to ask is what's a time when a lesbian has challenged a stereotype that you had and you were like, whoa, I think a lot of lesbians, even women I've dated, have said, oh, you're not really that butch. I feel like that 
one where I identify as kind of a soft butch person, but they're like, oh, but you're like, you've got so many feminine qualities and long hair and, and you're just pretty. And it's just like, well, okay, that's very nice of you to say, but like, I still identify this way. And, you know, even if I may not look like a stone butch or the hardest butch person, I still, you know, this is my identifier and it means a yeah. lot to me, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's like femme versus female. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. With that, let's get to our listener question. This week's listener question. I've been dating this woman for four years. She has a seven-year-old that I treat as my own. The father took off after two weeks and hasn't been around since. And a little over a year ago, he had a second child whose life he is involved with. This is extremely tough for my girlfriend. We work at the same place as this guy's father, who now claims this baby daddy has changed and wants to be in my girlfriend's child's life, although he never makes an effort. How do I be supportive and strong for her? And how do I help her get through this? What a complicated situation. (laughs) Yeah. Again, this is where I throw the disclaimer that we are not experts and are just offering our advice as human queer people. You know, there are a lot of heavy issues sometimes, like for me personally, involving like my wife and her relationship with her family and those are things that can be very complicated and I'm not directly involved in any of this. So the best that I can do in those situations is I let my wife know whatever you decide to do, I will support you. I'll offer her my thoughts on it and say, Hey, this is what, what I'm thinking. This is what I've noticed. This is maybe where I see that things could get kind of crazy or be painful. And maybe you might want to avoid that, but I would totally understand if you wanted to go in a different direction and I support you and just know I'm here for you. And that's sometimes the the best you can do. The thing is, I think your girlfriend is going to have to have a conversation with the father. It sounds like this guy doesn't really know what he wants and he can't be dipping in and out, especially when the kid is seven years old. That's a time where they are old enough to remember and old enough to definitely be fucked up by something like this. So if dad's like, I want to be in your life and then is still mostly checked out of it, then it would probably be best for your girlfriend to say, no, you're either in or you're out. There is no in between and that decision would have to be between the parents and you would have to support it is is my take but I'm also not yet a parent or have been in that role. So I have an interesting situation myself where my partner has three kids so I have three stepchildren so they're not necessarily mine but I still have three children at the ages of 13, 9, and 5 living in my house every other week. I almost have the opposite problem that the father and the mother both want to see their kids constantly. So we have a 50-50 rotation week to week and holidays 50-50. I would say the thing that you need to do is you need to tell your partner that you love her and support her and Mm -hmm. really be that rock, really be that anchor, really be like, I'm here. I'm not going anywhere. You know, I love you. Like, no matter what happens, no matter if this guy keeps changing his mind, like, I'm here and I'm steady, mm-hmm. you know? And then the thing I'm worst at in life is being a step-parent, honestly, because I didn't expect ever to be, like, a parent, really. And this was just something that sort of happened in this, like, wild ride life that I ended up being a step-parent of three. And so then I would say to make sure you spend time with the child and just 
also be that rock and also be like, yeah, I'm going to be here to read you stories and help you with homework. And I'm going to be here to take you to the playground and, you know, pick you up after school, like whatever you're doing, keep doing it because kids need a lot of structure. So making sure you and your partner don't like fly off the handle and that you're showing like a strong unified front, no matter what happens, because this guy could dip out, this guy could continue seeing your kid, but just let your child know you have two people in his life that love him and, you know, make that message uh, to your childhood. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I can't. <laughs> I'm way too immature. No, clearly the best thing to offer is consistency and support. And at least let that be a constant while there's so many things up in the air right now. And I think also that it's super natural in your situation to have a lot of things that maybe like you're apprehensive about, like to what extent are you parenting this kid or like disciplining, like for all, regardless of like gender sexuality, like this is what all step parents kind of have to grapple with. That just means like, these are conversations that you need to have with your partner. Like let them know when you're uncomfortable, let them know if you're uncertain about something, have them feel like part of the conversation. And like, once the kid is old enough, maybe this is terrible advice, but like talk to the kid about what they, what they want or what they need. They might not know, but you know, having that kind of communication and not making it feel like, Oh, there's this elephant in the room, but we can't talk about it because we might hurt somebody's feelings. But the best way to avoid, hurting people's feelings is if everybody is on the same page and talking to each other. So I think people treat children really differently and don't realize they are people with their own personalities and they probably understand a lot more of what's going on. And so I think it's okay to like sit down and call her and just say, Hey, so I noticed, uh, you know, this thing was happening and you know, there are going to be some changes and how do you feel about that? And I think it's all right to check in with kids every now and then and not just be like, oh, you're some little alien that doesn't understand what's going on. Yeah. Um, Sometimes they understand more than what we realize. And I think that's the biggest thing I've learned in having kids in my life is like they really get it. Yeah. They absorb like everything that's around them. And especially at an age like seven, I think that's like a critical time where they're really starting to pick up on smaller things that you might not, you know, because when they're like, Two, you're still walking around having conversations as if they're not in the room. I mean, I know I do that with my nephews. And now that they're starting to get older, every time I swear, like I catch myself or my sister and I will be like FaceTiming and they're in the room and we're talking about these things or like talking about my mom. And I'm like, wait, that's their grandma. I shouldn't be, (laughs) you know, calling grandma crazy uh, (laughs) in front of them, you know, and realizing that they're going to pick that up. So best of luck to you, listener. And Sarah, thank you so much. This has been like so informative. I know we talked about stereotypes and also a lot about dyke spaces and it's been a great conversation. I know people really like this topic. So where can people learn more about Dyke Bar Takeover? And if you want to plug your own social media too, do that. Oh, totally. At NYC Dyke Bar Takeover is our Facebook and at Dyke Bar Takeover is our Instagram. Those are the only two social media platforms we learn, but we love hearing from you. And so if you're an artist, let us know. If you want to volunteer, if you want to start your own chapter, let us know. Uh, We're really into it. Awesome. (laughs) And you can send me questions like, are you lesbian on Instagram (laughs) at TGI Carolyn? You can send those over to me at Melody Kamali. And follow us at Diking Out everywhere. We're posting great content. We recently posted one of my favorite 
cover art <laughs> melody looks so upset uh didn't even run this one by you no nope. i'm just gonna surprise melody with this squirting episode animation for our content that we have on patreon and himalaya we I, do have a 15 minute episode about squirting i joked about doing a squirting episode for the patreon and i didn't know it was a joke so i really put her on the spot when we had f- so t- speak on it yeah we had 15 minutes left of paid studio time and I'm like well we have 15 minutes talk about squirting now there's a doula in the room (laughs) it's now or never and it's a great conversation it's so funny I had so much fun listening back to it I was like this is great and Cecilia when she was making a little promo art for it was like I'm gonna animate this squirting and I'm like please do Melody is gonna be horrified and that is the story there so you can find that on <laughs> patreon.com slash diking out Himalaya um, we're sorry if you were planning on seeing us in Alaska California but we gotta all stay healthy out there and try to get through this and the quicker we act now hopefully the sooner this will all be over and we can get back to touching each other <laughs> and being and breathing in each other's faces regularly again so thanks for so, diking out wash your hands and we'll dike out with you next week bye Hi, it's Jennifer, a founder of the Go Kid Go Network. Do your kids love wacky worlds, superheroes, and inventing? Of course they do. That's why our shows Bobby Wonder and Lucy Wow are set in Pflugerville, the nonstop fun and adventure universe where imagination, creativity, STEM, and positive role models abound. Join the Pflugerville fun by searching for Bobby Wonder and Lucy Wow on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you get your podcasts.